In the time of our Lord, when he was on this earth, preaching and teaching, laying the foundation for his church, fulfilling the scriptures, because he is the incarnate word. We read in John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things through him came into existence, and apart from him nothing was made that has been made in the beginning. The same was with God, was God. Verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So, Christ the Word became a man. The world's religions and worldly governments cannot tolerate the Word of God. They are under the command of the God of this age and they must not only resist but seek the destruction of the Word of God, namely Christ and then of course his church. So then in this season where we find ourselves, we go back in time to the crucifixion and then the resurrection. Christ was crucified because of the conspiracy between religion and human government. But it could not stop the purpose of God. It could not keep him in the grave. It was by design that he would die for the sins of his own. And by his resurrection, guarantee our resurrection. And so we celebrate that today. I will rise because he has risen. Paul writes to the Romans in chapter 8, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead will raise me from the dead as well because I believe in Christ. There is no good in me, but the only thing that I can hope for and that is mine is that Christ has overcome the grave and has called me to himself. And therefore, the power of his resurrection rests upon me. And in the due course of time, I will either be raptured or resurrected, one or the other. And so then, since his resurrection, we move forward in time. Let's think about the five greatest things, in my view, that have ever happened. Number one, the virgin birth of Christ. Everything in the world was moving to the virgin birth of Christ since the creation and the fall of man. God calling out certain ones, and then selecting a nation and making that nation the elect of the Old Testament, 
and then giving them various promises and building upon the scriptures and the promises line upon line and precept upon precept. And so this wonderful drama unfolds of how God made the promise and God keeps the promise. Though man breaks it, man has no ability to keep the promise and to keep the covenant. God does. And so God makes himself responsible for bringing that covenant and its truth all the way through the Old Testament until finally it is fulfilled in that lonely, sublime figure who hung on the cross, was placed in the grave, and was raised up from the grave. The hope of all who call on him. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Did you know that Joel is considered to be the earliest of the writing prophets? It was Joel who first said it under the inspiration of God. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's repeated more than once in the New Testament. This what Joel said. It was from Joel that Peter took his text on the day of Pentecost when the church was born on planet earth through the fulfillment of all that had gone before in the person of Christ. And so after the virgin birth of Christ, the vicarious death of Christ, atonement, crucifixion, all of the world from his birth was moving to the time when he would die on the cross. So many prophecies in the Old Testament. And then for those three days, the whole world moved to the third greatest thing, which was his resurrection. There's nothing greater in the human race among us all than the thought of resurrection where death has lost its power for those who are in Christ. Then the whole world moved for 40 days from his resurrection to his ascension. His ascension was necessary. He died on the cross to save me, but he ascended into heaven where he serves as my high priest and keeps me saved. I'm not saved by my power. I'm saved by his power. I'm not kept by my power. I'm kept by his power. Now, since then, the whole world methodically, irrevocably, unalterably is moving to the second coming of Christ. Now, Paul in 1 Thessalonians, which we just finished, wrote to them what he had taught them about rapture and resurrection. For the dead in Christ will rise first, and those of us who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them 
to be with Christ in the air and the clouds. Comfort one another with these words, he said. The Thessalonians had been troubled because that the older people of the first generation of the church began to die. Now they were expecting Christ to briefly be gone and come right back. And so what's happening? What about those who are dead in Christ? And Paul gives them the teaching that they will rise first. They will, we will not precede them into the presence of Christ at the rapture and resurrection. But he says, Christ will bring them with him. Their disembodied spirits somehow outfitted until their resurrection. And when he brings them with him, they are resurrected. And then we are raptured and glorified as they are. And they're raised first and then us. And so he gives them this teaching. It's called the, Paul, to Titus, it's called the blessed hope. The blessed hope of the church. That Christ will finally take us out of this horrible mess. So then, all right. It is the doctrine of the rapture. Harpazo is the Greek word he uses in the Thessalonians. It means to seize from impending danger. In the first translation of the Greek into the Latin, the word is rapere, which, from which we get the word rapture. To be seized from impending danger. It is the promise to the church. It is reiterated by Christ himself in the letter to the Philadelphian church in the Revelation. To be kept from the distress, from the trouble, from the trial, from the tribulation that's going to fall on all of those who dwell on the earth, earth dwellers. The church is not destined for that. The church is not destined for the wrath of God. The church is destined for deliverance. So now we move into 2 Thessalonians, we're in chapter 2. There was a time when I drove home from the church and when I left the church, there was not a car and there wasn't anybody around. The drive home seemed eerily quiet. I drove into my driveway Pat's car was there. I couldn't find her anywhere. I called into the house. Where are you? No, no answer. Texted, no answer. Call the phone, no answer. I begin to get a little nervous. <laughs> Lord, are you going in alphabetical order? I was always taught ladies first. <laughs> Finally, she popped out of somewhere. And I saw her and said, oh, God in heaven. <laughs> I didn't miss the rapture. Now, I'll bet if you're honest with yourself, you've probably had that thought once or twice. 
man, I, I missed the boat here. This is the way the Thessalonians were feeling. Someone apparently sent a counterfeit letter as though it was from the Apostle Paul saying, we're in the day of the Lord. You see, they lived in a Gentile world controlled by the Romans and the Christians were hated and they were under great persecution and affliction. They couldn't get a job because all of the crafts, the craftsmanship was controlled by pagan temples. They were despised by the other pagans. They were ostracized by their society, banished from social activity. And it seemed as though, according to all they had studied, they missed the rapture. Now, we should be settled and confident in the power of the resurrection that rests upon us if we have faith in Christ. If we are in Christ, the resurrection power that raised Christ from the dead will raise us from the dead. It is an infallible truth on which the church has stood all this time. But there were valid points. You know, there are people who think that the wrath of God is going to visit the church before he delivers the church. Not according to the Bible. There are some, even within the church, who teach that the church is going to have to fall into the day of the Lord. We're going to have to suffer persecution in the tribulation. Not according to the Bible. Paul addresses that here. All right, so then what happens from his resurrection to his glorious second coming? And how, how is it applicable to, to me and to the church? Well, here it is. That day, the great day of the Lord, the day of his wrath, the time of the great tribulation, when the world will suffer Things that have never been known before. The judgment of God himself. That day will not come until. So Paul is writing to the church and he's saying to them, relax. I'm going to point out some things that I've already been teaching you and you should know. But let me reiterate these things to you. Paul writes to the Thessalonians. You're not in the day of the Lord because certain things haven't occurred that cannot occur until the day of the Lord. The time of the wrath of God when it falls on this world. So then let's study it together. From the time of his resurrection until the time of his glorious second coming, that day will not come until, number one, the apostasy comes. Now there are apostates today. There are pockets of apostasy. But we're going to see the definition of apostasy relative to the day of the Lord. That day won't come until the apostasy comes. Let's study it. Now I ask you, brothers, number one, pay attention, he says. We ask you, brothers, with regard to the coming of our Lord 
and our gathering together to him. Let's study this for just a second. Parousias, the coming or the presence of the Lord, it means the presence. It references standing by itself, the word in the Greek references the appearance of the Lord, namely the appearance of the Lord that calls his church to himself, which we know as the rapture. The presence of the Lord with regard to the coming, the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together. Now, if you, if that's a big old long Greek word up there. Episodagoges. The word synagogue is in that, upon gathering, epi, upon. So the compound word speaks of the rapture. Our gathering together to him. Regarding the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, our, the pronoun that references the church. He's speaking to the brethren, the church, the brothers. Our gathering together to him. Now, with regard to the rapture of the church, number two, don't get stressed out here. You should not be quickly shaken. The word means agitated in your mind or be alarmed or troubled or distressed whether by a spirit or a word or a letter as if, as if from us. Don't get distressed over something that is counterfeit, some crazy doctrine that somebody is trying to push for whatever reason that we're in the day of the Lord. No, 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 no. Regarding the presence of our Lord, which is, which is the appearance of the Lord in the air to gather us to himself, the rapture, to him, don't be quickly shaken in your mind, agitated, don't be distressed, don't be troubled as though you got a letter from us or there's some word spreading about as though the day of the Lord has occurred and it's upon us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Don't be distressed here. Let no one in any way deceive you for it has not come unless the apostasy comes first. I have it in red up there. Hey, apostasia. Apostasis. Apo means away from and stasis means to stand uh, anastasis is resurrection, to stand again. Apostasis means to be repelled by what is generally the norm. Now, there are some people in recent theological circles who try to make the word apostasia. They try, hey, apostasia. They try to make that word as though it should be translated physical departure. In other words, a reference to the rapture. Well, that's the no. That's not, that's... You can study the Greek use of it all the way back. It is a departure, but it is not a physical departure. It is a departure as though rebelling against something that has otherwise been seen as the norm. To stand off from that which has otherwise been established and for so long has been the norm. Rebellion. That's what the word means. An apostasy. An apostate is such a person. So there's coming a time, and you'll note here in the Greek text that the definite article is used. He, apostasia, the 
apostasy. Not, not an apostasy, the apostasy. So there is an apostasy that is going to fall upon the world, upon the whole world. And it will cause the world, generally speaking, to stand off in rebellion from that which is otherwise an established norm. Now, we can understand that when we understand the conjunctive statement that comes right after it. So number one, that day won't come until this the apostasy comes. Now, there are a lot, there's a lot of apostasy today. I'm, I'm how old am I? I'm, I'll be 72 if God gives me to July the 4th. So I've been around the block a few times. It's kind of, it's kind of uh, depressing to know that every time you walk into a room, you're probably the oldest one in the room. <laughs> But I'll just kiss myself in the mirror and get over it. Now, <laughs> the apostasy, there's an apostasy going on now. Consider, consider the fracturing of major denominations in the world over certain issues. Whether or not we stand in the book of Jude, the little book of Jude addresses that false teaching. To deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ, false teaching. To, to stand away from that. The norm of false teaching in the church to stand up. So there's apostasy even in the church. And apostates are the ones who are falling for all that stuff. And it's a curse indeed. But as bad as that is and it's awful. As bad as that is, there is the apostasy. And any apostasy before that pales into comparison of the apostasy. So he's saying in his teaching, and this is Christian eschatology, you know, the, the doctrine of eschatology, the doctrine of last things, eschatology, is, a, is an all-inclusive teaching in the Bible. But it can be subdivided and there is an eschatology that belongs to particularly and specifically to the church. The doctrine of the last things of the church. The church does not belong to that time when the apostasy comes. So we're not there yet. Because hopefully most of us, if not all of us, believe that the Bible is the blessed holy word of God. And we teach it and stand on it, believe that it is true. Though the world may mock us and laugh at us, we will have the last laugh. God's laughing at it, Psalm 2. Why do the heathen, why do the nations rage against God and his Christ? Psalm 2. On down there it says, it has God in a giggling fit. It has God in, like he's in derision. It's, it's God is laughing his head off. That anybody could call God a liar. We stand on the word of God. So that we are here in that sense means that the apostasy hasn't occurred yet. So that's number one. You can know you haven't missed the rapture because that's number one. But there's something that a conjunction joins this to 
that helps us to identify even more the characteristic of the apostasy. Number two, that day won't come until the man of lawlessness is revealed. I can sense it. People in this room are saying, I believe the man of lawlessness has been revealed. No, he hadn't. <laughs> Thank God we can't understand the depths of darkness that are coming into this world, especially when the man of lawlessness is revealed. You see, and you see that? Kai apocalypse. And the unveiling. That's the same word as revelation, the apocalypse, the, the revelation of Jesus Christ. There is an unveiling to pull back the curtain. There is an unveiling, a revealing of Jesus Christ. That's the title of the last book of the Bible, the revelation. It's the same word. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, manifest. A curtain is pulled back and the world will come under the dark spiritual magnetism of the man of lawlessness. So the apostasy is connected to the man of lawlessness, the son of destruction. Lawlessness, uh, anomias of lawlessness. Nomos is law, uh, the alpha prefix means no or negative, no law, against law. So when the man of lawlessness appears, he will have absolutely no regard to any law, none. And the world will still love him because of the man of lawlessness. And the time is coming when he is revealed, but we're going to see in this text that he will not be revealed until the church is removed. We can't, we have all, I, I've read the articles and the books. Oh no. When I was a young preacher, it was Henry Kissinger was the Antichrist. Is he still alive? If he is, he's warmed over death. He just ain't dead yet. He's old. He was old then. Henry Kissinger was the Antichrist. The king of Spain was the Antichrist. They came out with six, six. Man, you could sit around and figure this thing. His name is, look, I'm going to add it on. It's six, six, six. King of Spain. Good grief. Well, anyway, okay, I've read it all. Do you know what? Kissinger wasn't and isn't. King of Spain, I don't know if that guy's alive or not. He's not, he isn't. Because he won't be revealed until we're gone. We can't know who the Antichrist, I don't want to know. I probably, me and Chuck Norris would go after him. I'm 72 and Chuck Norris is 83. Boy, we'll have a lot of success, won't we? So number two, 
Our gathering together to him in his presence hasn't occurred because number two, the apostasy that is connected to the man of lawlessness who will be revealed. He'll be unveiled then, the son of destruction, ruin, death, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the sanctuary of God, exhibiting himself as being God. Now that's a teaching in other parts of scripture that talks about the temple that will be rebuilt and the, the Antichrist, the seven-year treaty, the Antichrist, he, he settles the world down and he's a man of peace for three and a half years and everything seems just great. In the middle of that three and a half years, he breaks his covenant, he marches into Israel, he allows them to rebuild that temple, but then he goes in and he says, I'm God, and he stops religion, but it won't be any religion, won't be any worship, it's all worship of him. He will declare that he is the embodiment of religion. You must worship his image. And you must take his mark. Those things won't happen until we're gone. The son of destruction. And he walks in in the middle, middle of the, in the three, after three and a half, in the middle of the tribulation, walks in to the sanctuary of God, declares himself to be God. Paul says to the Thessalonians, don't you remember that while I was still with you, I was teaching these things to you? How can you think so foolishly that you think that you've missed the rapture. Man, these things haven't happened. That day won't come until the restraining is removed. There is a restraining at work in the world today. And it keeps the world from turning into hell itself on earth. But here's what Paul says. It won't come until what restrains and he who restrains. You see that? There's a neuter and a masculine. And you know what restrains or is restraining him now. So that in his time, he will be revealed. There is a time that is coming on planet earth when he will be manifested in all of his horrible grandeur, the son of Satan himself, the Antichrist, the beast, whatever you want to call him, man of lawlessness, son of perdition. That is a horrible, horrible time. There'll be no Christianity. The Christians are gone. No church. The church is gone. No work of the Holy Spirit through the church because the Holy Spirit working through the church will be gone. That's what this refers to. That which restrains, the neuter, is the work that the Holy Spirit is doing in the world today, which is, of course, through the church. In his time, he will be revealed. The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. You know, I know that. The Antichrist, the spirit of Antichrist. Doesn't the world hate Jesus? Our own nation growing in its hatred toward Jesus. The restriction of what you can say in public. The restrictions against what you can wear in public as a Christian. Christianity is coming under a hatred that I've never seen in this nation. Now it's been bad in other cultures I know. But this thing then will be 
This thing will be worldwide, but the mystery of all lawlessness is already at work. People hate Christians. They hate the Bible. They hate God. They hate the church. They hate Jesus. They don't want to, they don't want to know that they're sinners to be judged without Christ. They don't want to know that. They hate it. That's the, that's the, fallen, that's the fallen state of humanity. You have to be born again. You can't help yourself. That's how you are until God, by his grace, intervenes in your life and gives you a new life spiritually so that now you can understand these things. You can understand what kind of a creep you are without Christ. The creepiness still exists, but you'll throw it off someday. I can be kind of creepy. Some of you can be kind of creepy, <laughs> but that's not for me to say. Paul writes about it in Romans 7, the things I want to do, I'm not doing those things. The things that I don't want to do, I find myself doing those things. The things that I ought to do, I'm not doing those things. Oh, who will deliver me from this body of death? I'm not glorified yet. The spirit of Antichrist is at work in so many ways and the devil attacks us through through governmental power authority attacks us through schools and, and uh, institutions I am observing today the joining of the corporate world with the world of government and together they are declaring doctrines of demons seeking to force those on the culture in which we live every institution is subject to this awful attack from hell the spirit of antichrist is at work but it's nothing like it's going to be listen you can take a, a you can take a hundred million judases and mix him with a billion hitlers and and i don't know who else Antiochus Epiphanes times 300. Take the worst people in the world that you've ever known who hate Jesus and roll them all up into one and you will not begin to approach the darkness of the man of sin and his absolute hatred of Christ. This spirit is already at work. And the only thing that restrains it from overwhelming the world is the work of the Holy Spirit in the church. Now, this doesn't mean, oh, here, here, okay. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Ek, out of. Mesut, the midst. Genetai, he might be gone. So that the time comes when he is gone out of the midst. Well, the Holy Spirit is God and you can't take God away from anything, anywhere, anytime. So the Spirit of God is still in the world, but not as a restrainer working through the church. That goes with the rapture of the church in my view. What little we can do is still a great force of restraint as we hopefully are in abeyance and obedience to the 
Holy Spirit of God who is in the church. The presence of God today is in the lives of believers, the church, the temple of the Lord Jesus Christ today is the church. And it now restrains that which restrains and he who restrains until he is taken out of the midst. So we're here, we're preaching against Satan, we stand against the Antichrist, we proclaim the gospel of Christ, seeking to stay off apostasy in the world. So we're still here. He's still here working through us. We're not gone yet. The message is still here, but then he'll be taken out of the midst. Paul says to the Thessalonians, that hasn't happened yet. That day won't come until the activity of Satan is seen. Look at this. And then that lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will slay with the breath of his mouth, bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. Now there's a combination of words here. The appearing of his coming. Epiphania tes parousias, or two of him. So the appearing, the appearing of, the, of his coming. Now that's the second, that's the glorious second coming. There is the presence of Christ, which is the rapture church. But then the church comes back with Christ in his glorious second coming. Carries him to Armageddon. The Antichrist is captured. The false prophet is captured. And they are the first ones to ever be cast into the lake of fire. There are a lot of people in Hades. There are a lot of people in the netherworld of the wicked dead. Hades, torment. But nobody's in the lake of fire yet. These two dudes are the first two. Captured by Christ. It'll be an easy thing. It's just by what comes out of his mouth. Just, just, in, just in the appearance of his coming. Whose coming is in accord, and that goes back to the lawless one. Whose coming is in accord with the working of Satan. With all power and signs and false wonders. Now we won't be here to see that, but the world will be duped. False wonders, signs. It's his time to be revealed. It's his time of apocalypse. It's his time of pulling the curtain back. So by the purpose of God, he has granted this time so that the wrath of God might fall in bringing to end the powers of, of the Gentile nations and establish his kingdom with Christ the King for a thousand years. So this is all in accord with the working of Satan and he, he, gets, he gains so much ground by power and signs and false wonders. Even, even what appears to be a resurrection of his when it seems as though he's killed. That's in the revelation. We haven't seen that yet. Oh, we see crazy stuff a lot. A flying saucer here. I don't know, whatever. So, okay. Give me a ride. I don't care. It's, it doesn't apply to this time. 
The whole world will be duped at that time. That time hasn't come yet. Finally, that day won't come until the deception of wickedness occurs. And with all the deception of unrighteousness for those who perish, those who have no anchor in the truth, those who have no grasp of the blessed holy word of God that is absolute truth, those who have none of that, they're deceived. They have a thousand other definitions for righteousness but in the Bible, it's just all concluded as the deception of unrighteousness for those who perish. Why? Because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. Despise the truth. Hate the Bible. Have nothing to do with Christ. Have no sense of sin or shame. And a need for God's salvation. To be clothed upon with the righteousness of Christ. Because I have no righteousness of my own. On my best day. There is no righteousness in me. Or you. It's all what Christ affords to me. Imputed upon me and to me by the Father. Clothe me in the righteousness of Christ. And for this reason, God sends upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false. That, my friend, is their judgment. They can't be saved. They can't believe. Because God is not calling them. Because God has nothing to do with them. They did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. God sends now deluding influence and that's it. Today, across this world, because the rapture of the church, the, the times of the Gentiles have not come to a close yet. And so there'll be some who'll be saved. Maybe today, somebody here be saved. That's proof. That's proof that the deluding influence has not fallen upon the world to accept and believe what is false, the lie, in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in unrighteousness. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he came into this world to save sinners. According to the scriptures, if God pricks your heart, you will be drawn to Christ such that you will admit that you're a sinner, believe in Jesus, and call on him to save you. In just a moment, we'll be dismissed. But as you leave, you will find that there are deacons and their wives just as you exit, right across the hall, standing in doorways, and if you're here today without Christ and God is calling you to Christ, they stand ready to pray with you. Maybe you're here, you're already a Christian and God is calling you to come and be a part of Shiloh. Study the word with us and work in these last days with us to the glory of Christ. They stand ready to take care of all the details of church membership if that's, God, if that's how God works in your life. So with our heads bowed, our eyes closed, would you prayerfully stand all over this room and we'll be dismissed in prayer.